AM 790 Talk and Business presents Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island with your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Join Bronwyn to hear about the next Water Fire event in downtown Providence, plus other great cultural events happening in the community. Now, here's your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Well, and good afternoon, and welcome to Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island, the newest one-hour talk show and entertainment program here on AM 790, your station for talk and business. And we are here with you every Wednesday and bringing you behind the scenes and into Rhode Island's signature event that has been setting the state on fire for nearly 20 years. So I am your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser, and I am here with my lovely co-host, the creator and uh, artistic director of Water Fire, Mr. Barnaby Evans. Hello, Barnaby. Hello, Bronwyn. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah? Good day? It's a great day. Excellent. Great day. Lots I, going on. I know. We've been doing a lot planning for this fundraiser, huh? We have a fundraiser, that's right, on September 23rd, which we encourage everyone to come to. I know. It's going to be a lot of fun. For the first year, we've actually themed it, and it's called Elemental, because as we know, Water Fire is all about the elements, and um, it's going to be taking place at Water Place Restaurant, and uh, lots of fun, uh, very private fire, lots of great food, and uh, some really phenomenal surprises. So um, anybody out there, if you're interested, please go to the Water Fire website, uh, and you can learn more about our Elemental Benefit Bash, and realize that we cannot um, do water fire without your help, so we hope that you will come and celebrate with us and have a little fun on September 23rd. So yeah, lots of stuff going on in that office, Barnaby, and I know that there's also a lot going on as we plan for September 27th, which is the next full lighting. A very full fire, lots of things going on, Saturday, September 27th. I know, so we had a staff meeting yesterday, and the list kept getting longer and longer and longer, but we've got, you know, the, the one of my favorite uh, groups that we work with always is the U.S. China Institute and the U.S. Confucius Institute. Um, we've been working with them. Gosh, we skipped a year, but I know for, this is the third time that third we'll time. be on. So it's been over a four-year period, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's such a it's such a fun thing. This is where you put dragons on the river, Mr. Evans. We do, with the help of Bryant University, mm-hmm. and we'll be hearing about that in a moment. But uh, the first time we did it, we had the dragons hatch dragon eggs, I remember. <laughs> I totally remember, because Jackie's Galaxy <laughs> was opening up, right? Yep. And there, so there are all those little eggs that little were... Little baby dragons hatched out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm so excited, uh, uh, because at least today, we have... Um, with us, Dr. Hong Yang, who is the Vice President for International Affairs and the Charles J. Smiley Chair Professor of Environmental Sciences at Bryant University. And he has uh, been my partner uh, on the road show uh, over the last few years uh, when we've actually been doing tea ceremonies and uh, doing some exhibits of Chinese music and, and culture. Um, and Dr. Yang is going to be joining us to tell us not only what the Confucius Institute is uh, necessarily, but, you know, what we can expect to see on the 27th. Um, Dr. Yang, are you there on the phone? Yes, I'm here. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. We we look forward to this fire more than you could ever imagine. Um, you know, as we were just saying on the air, we turned Steeple Street into what I would call a little China, and there's just so many fun, interactive activities that happen. But before we even go into what we're going to see there, um, Dr. Yang, can you give us a little bit of a history about yourself and, and, and what it is that you do at Bryant and with the Confucius Institute? Uh, yes, um, um Good afternoon. So, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, I'm the vice president for international affairs at Bryant. Um, and uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, along with um, uh, President Mickey, uh we created uh, the U.S.-China Institute uh, and then um, the Confucius Institute a few years later. 
So this year, uh, compared with previous two years, uh, we have more uh, Confucius Institute joining us. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the co-sponsors are five uh, universities uh, which host uh, Confucius Institute in our region. Uh, so they are Bryant University, uh, Central Connecticut State University, University of uh, Massachusetts at Boston, uh, University of New Hampshire, and uh, of course, uh, University of Rhode Island. Um, so you expect people uh, travel from actually as far as New Hampshire. Oh, that's excellent. So can, can you give us a little bit of a background on exactly what the Confucius Institute is for anybody who might not be familiar? Yeah, the Confucius Institute is, of course, named after uh, the Chinese uh, ancient philosopher Confucius. Uh, it's set up to uh, uh, offer Chinese language and cultural courses uh, around the globe. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, right now, uh, there is about uh, uh, more, than five, uh, more than 100 uh, Confucius Institute uh, setting up uh, in the U.S., uh, most of them are uh, in the universities, um, and also uh, there's Confucius classrooms uh, that are more at the community level uh, in the school district. Uh, the mission are uh, teaching uh, Chinese language uh, and also uh, trying to um, uh, make aware of uh, Chinese culture uh, as well. Uh, so, in fact, uh, on the very day, September the 27th, uh, is uh, the global uh, or the worldwide Confucius Institute Day. Well, now isn't that perfect? <laughs> That's great. No, it's, you, you haven't, you know, uh, cannot pick a, a better day for the water fire. No, absolutely. That's, that's great. And, you know, you were speaking of in Rhode Island classrooms, I believe, as part of this effort, you've been teaching Chinese um, to young students in in across Rhode Island, and this is part of the necessity of recognizing that international trade is growing, which is also something that Bryant's been long involved with. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I think um, uh, one of the focus for us, uh, at least for my job, is to uh, promote diversity, internationalization on campus, uh, as well as in our community. Uh, so I think the Confucius Institute's program aligns that mission very well, um, and uh, we have several programs. Uh, I think each one of the five uh, Confucius Institutes uh, have their uh, own unique aspect. Uh, for example, we do a lot of teacher trainings, uh, uh, training for uh, Chinese language and cultural teachers uh, in the school district. Um, and we do a lot of programs for festivals, uh, for example, the Chinese New Year, uh, or in the fall, that is uh, the Middle Autumn Festivals. Uh, which we just passed, actually, uh, last uh, few days. Is that when you have those beautiful tea cakes? I remember when we did, were doing a tea ceremony, and I think it was last year. There were these beautiful moon cakes, I think they were called. Is that it? That's, that's correct. Uh, so the Middle Autumn Festival is uh, a holiday. It's uh, very similar to the, uh, uh, our Americans' uh, Thanksgiving. So people are uh, coming together. The family are sitting uh, under the full moon, uh, enjoy the uh, the moon cake and having tea, just chat about their lives and their friendship. And so, how how large is the program specifically at Bryant, the the U.S. China Institute and Confucius Institute? Do you do you find that there's a lot of um, students that are, are enrolling in the program? Yeah, uh, our program started uh, year uh, 2006. 
uh, and has been a number of years, uh, and we have seen uh, a growth interest uh, in the past few years, uh, not only for our students, uh, but also uh, students from the, uh, the K-12 uh, level as well as from the community level. Uh, so we do several programs throughout the year uh, for uh, language and, and culture, uh, and also our staff uh, also taking high school students to China in the summertime as well. Oh, that's excellent. I was going to ask that. Is there some sort of almost like cultural exchange program that you have with another university in China? Um, so can students uh, go back and forth between Bryant and, uh, and another university and take a semester in China? Yeah, actually each one of our Confucius Institute is partnering with a Chinese university. Uh, as, as I know, for example, uh, our uh, University of Rhode Island, which partnering uh, with um, uh, Zhejiang University, uh, which uh, is going to send a, a performing art troupe uh, to perform uh, before the water fire on the 27th. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's going to be a nice night. That'll be happening on the water play stage as well as you've got a lot of exhibits up on Steeple Street of different things that the U.S. China Institute is doing and Brian is, Brian is doing. Yeah, this year uh, we featured um, early Chinese writing. Uh, as you know, before uh, paper was invented uh, and after the oracle, uh, the, the Chinese writing was carved on bamboo strips. Right. Um, so we're working this year, we're working with uh, uh, the National Museum and also the Provincial Museum um, to bring some of these uh, replicas of those artifacts uh, back to uh, Rhode Island, and some of them will be displayed uh, at, um, uh, at the water fire. You know, a- another historic thing which I think is really exciting for Rhode Island and for Bryant, of course, is this uh, groundbreaking you held, and we walked and looked at the field, where you'll be creating... Shu uh, Fang Shai so that's a project. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, Barney, actually you pronounce the word very well. <laughs> it sounds like you, you just came back from, from China. Uh, so Shu Fang Shai is, uh, uh, is a courtyard uh, within the Forbidden City in Beijing. So in the past few years, we have been working with uh, the Palace Museum, uh, or known as the Forbidden City in Beijing, uh, to do a... a uh, one on one, one on one um, replica of the, uh, the courtyard. Uh, so this has been a, a long uh, effort. So we got uh, approvals uh, from the Chinese uh, uh, government and authorities. Uh, we're very actively engaged. In particular, the president is engaged in fundraising, uh, trying to um, get um, get the structure built on our campus. Uh, which we think uh, serve as a, a, a symbol for uh, U.S.-China interactions and friendship. And this is the first time the Forbidden City has done something like that, so we'll, we'll come right back to that after the break, because it's a fascinating story and an exciting next chapter up at Bryant. Yep, so hold on one second, Dr. Yang. We look forward to speaking to you after the break, and uh, we'll talk more about that Forbidden City and everything that we're going to see on September 27th. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island on AM790, your station for talk and business. And 
Welcome back. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, and I'm Bronwyn Dannenfelzer, and I'm here with Barnaby Evans, the creator of Waterfire, and we've been having a fantastic conversation with Dr. Hong Yang from Bryant University. Um, uh, Bryant University, and actually it's all the Confucius Institutes, will be sponsoring, or one of our sponsors, for the September 27th fire. And if you uh, missed what our conversation just ended at, uh, we were talking about the Forbidden City and this incredible project. Shufeng Jai, which they were going to create a uh, reproduction of it up at Bryant that everyone can visit. And what I had wanted... uh, uh, to continue the conversation on Dr. Young, is this is the first time the Forbidden City has allowed uh, such a reproduction to occur, and it's being created in China with the correct tools and materials going back to when this was built in the 1400s. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I think um, uh, this is the first time both inside or outside of China uh, because um, um, we were getting the uh, direct measurements uh, from the uh, ancient architecture department uh, of the Forbidden City. And uh, so tell us how that came about. This is a singular honor that's coming to Bryant and to Rhode Island, and it's going to be a wonderful resource as we look at Chinese culture. Yeah, this is, uh, I think I have to accredit this, accredit this uh, to President Make This Vision. Uh, this was, uh, I remember, the year 2005 uh, when we traveled. Uh, to the Forbidden City, uh, along with President Makeley and a uh, few members of trustees. So we were hosted uh, in this uh, chamber uh, of Su Fang Jai, which is the VIP room for the Forbidden City. Uh, so everybody was falling in love with this. Uh, so I think this is the time when uh, President Makeley came up with this idea, so why don't we build one uh, to symbolize our relationship with China, uh, to symbolize our commitment for diversity and, and uh, international on our campus. So I think this is a sort of a short origin of this program. That, that's, ama- that's amazing, and congratulations. When, when does the next phase of that happen? I imagine they're preparing the materials, and they'll be shipped to here for uh, assembly by Master Craftsman. What's the timeline? Yeah, I hope that uh, we raise enough money uh, so that we can start maybe a next year or so uh, to build on, on site here. Well, I remember visiting the uh, the, the site, and uh, there's it's going to be a wonderful addition to the Bryant campus, which already has a great many intriguing buildings. It's been quite a project, and I encourage people to go out and discover everything that's happening at Bryant. Yeah, and I have a question, Dr. Um, Yang. I, I was, You know, now having seen both sides, so what schooling in college and university is like in China and what it is like here in the United States, what do you see to be the basic fundamental differences between the schooling in either area um, or some of the similarities? And, and as we try to bridge this gap because we do so much business internationally, um, what do you see happening in the future between the two uh, countries and our exchanges and how we work with each other? Uh-huh. This is a great question. I think we can talk to uh, more than an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, to, to, uh, to be brave, I think there is a lot of differences uh, between schools in China and in the United States uh, in terms of uh, educational philosophy, uh, the curriculum, uh, the faculty. Um, so, but there's a lot of similarities. Uh, I see uh, uh, the school is a, it's a place where students um, uh, getting their knowledge, uh, students explore their future, uh, and has all this wonderful flair of interactions between uh, students and faculty. Uh, it is just a, a place where you see learning uh, is the center mission uh, of a school. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of similarities as well. Um, and in terms of the exchange program, uh, it has always been our belief uh, that um, uh, the students need to know uh, a country uh, beyond their own country. Uh, so to know people uh, who have different cultures, uh, who speak different languages. Um, so this will have a tremendous impact uh, when they in, into uh, the workplace where it's already become a very uh, independent uh, from, from one to another. Uh, it, we're living in a global village, as we say. Um, so I see our mission uh, to, is to provide uh, students at Bryant uh, who are equipped uh, with knowledge uh, for uh, internationalization that will prepare them uh, to go uh, to the next challenge when they enter the real world. Yeah, I think that's interesting. One of the the things I think that happens when one goes from the United States to another country where there's another culture, and I know they do this in business, they'll actually train people um, as to what the customs are, because customs can be very different, and what we might use as some symbolism or, um, or, or a way of acting sometimes isn't as accepted in another place. So as part of the, the Confucius Institute and the China Institute, are you teaching people essentially the those basics, those cultural aspects, um, so that when they go and communicate, it's an actual straight communication rather than something that could be confused? Uh, we do. Actually, uh, in our Confucius Institute, we have a, a special program for business professionals. Uh, for example, we're uh, working with the Schneider Electrics uh, as part of their uh, partner uh, in the community. Uh, so we provide some courses for their employees uh, who are interested in China or who is doing business in China. Um, so that including language, culture, etiquette. Um, so uh, I think it's just a fun course. It sounds great. Well, maybe we've only got about another minute and a half left, but we'd love to hear maybe some of the other things that we can expect yeah, to see on Steeple Street. Street. On Steeple Street, we're going to feature a lot of things. So I'd love to hear about it, Dr. Yang. Yeah, uh, well, as I mentioned before, uh, this is a, uh, it's a collective uh, uh, celebration um, among the five universities uh, in New England which host uh, Confucius Institute. Uh, so we put a, a Chinese cultural street uh, in the steeple street. So there is, uh, uh, will be a calligraphy, there will be a face painting, uh, and will be a very famous uh, the three piece dealing with China. I just wonder if any, what, any one of you know what is the three piece about China? No, I don't. <laughs> the three piece are <laughs> pandas, uh, a face painting, uh, and picking something up using your chopsticks. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. So there will be food. Okay, good. Good. There will be food. Excellent. Well, we so we, we have such a great time with you, and um, thank you so much for joining us, and we cannot wait to see you on the 27th, and congratulations on all the incredible work that you're doing with the Confucius Institute and that you do at Bryant, Dr. Yang. Um, you're just such a pleasure to work with. Well, thank you for having me. You've got it. Thank right. you, Dr. Young. You're listening we'll to see a- you in a week and a, in week and a half. Yep, you're listening to AM790, your station for talk and business, and Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, and we will be back in a second.
And welcome back. You're listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island. I'm Bronwyn Dannenfeltzer, and I am here with my co-host, the uh, creator of Waterfire, Barnaby Evans. And we just had a great chat with Dr. Hong Yang from Bryant University in the Confucius Institute. Um, they will be at Waterfire on September 27th. But now we're going to segue into something which I find to be really fascinating. Um, and I really didn't know a lot about uh, until I started to read more about it in the last couple of months. Um, but we are really privileged at the moment to have David Beauchene, who is the executive director of the Rhode Island Philharmonic with us. And uh, he's been doing a lot of work on something that is a, called a cultural facilities bond. And uh, I thought that, you know, we really should educate people as to what is the cultural facilities bond. And David, I know that you and Michael Gennaro have uh, been working on this for quite some time and really penned a lot of this. But why don't we start off with one Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing today? Great to be here. Thanks for having David, me on the good show. Good to see you again. Absolutely. Good to see you, Barnaby. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, this goes back to the General Assembly. I think when was it? That, I mean, it's uh, been something that uh, a lot of communities have been looking at for art support. But um, this, uh, when, when did the discussion start? They, there was a big charrette statewide. Sure. Well, you know, Michael and I have been talking since we met about how we could better support and fund arts facilities in this state, essentially as as the state's cultural infrastructure. And uh, the General Assembly hosted an arts charrette in 2013 precisely to spark a conversation between uh, the public sector as well as the private sector as to how we might have a more vital uh, arts community in the state. And they did so in part because they recognized that there were a great deal of jobs already in the cultural sector, that those were good-paying jobs, steady jobs, and that the cultural sector was actually one of the few job sectors in the economy that had grown during the recession. Absolutely. So, and, so they, and, they, and people visiting Rhode Island is one of the largest uh, you know, economic activities in the state. It and is. And the arts are an important part of that. So, so for the General Assembly, it was how do we take a strength of our state and have a good and thorough discussion of how we make it even stronger and 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 provide ways in which we, we can help that sector do even more for the Rhode Island economy, create more jobs, create more activity uh, that will bring people into the state uh, and, and, and make our communities more vital, make people want to live here, uh, raise families here, work here. And so the discussion was wide-ranging, but one piece of it that really uh, struck a chord with everyone was the need to invest in our cultural facilities to make sure that they are sustainable and that they're not burdened on the arts organizations that utilize them to present to the public that, in fact, they are enhancements and that they can be an asset to those facilities to generate the jobs and the cultural activity uh, that uh, the General Assembly wanted to increase. So that led to a discussion uh, around uh, a bond issue that would support organizations that already had uh, construction projects that either were about to be underway or were currently underway, and uh, essentially we described them as shovel-ready, ready to go. Um, and uh, we worked with a number of people, including uh, the, the State Arts Council and others, to come up with a list of organizations that had projects. And, uh, and these are organizations all across the state. All across and, the and state. And it's building capacity and the... and. Um, we, it will increase the economic impact of these arts organizations and allow us to have uh, an even more vibrant arts community here in Rhode Island. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was actually um, on the there, – there is a website that um, kind of breaks down exactly what the cultural bond issue is. But, David, can you tell us some of these groups that, you know, that, 
that it would benefit. And actually, what is the bond? Is it for how much right. money is it for? Sure. And well, the website's yesonfiveri.com, mm-hmm. all one word, yesonfiveri.com, mm-hmm. and so people can go there to find out more. And the uh, the bond is for thirty five million, and it actually merges two ideas. It takes the cultural facilities idea and connects that with a previous. Uh, bond program that was for historic properties. And that bond uh, program has happened a couple of different times in our state's history. And uh, so we, we... in this particular case, Governor Chafee actually merged the two ideas together and put it in his budget uh, for the coming fiscal year and then put that budget to the General Assembly. And they picked it up and made a few uh, changes in consultation with both the historic preservation and the arts community. But we think those changes uh, strengthen it and the governor supported the changes. So we and then the General Assembly passed it overwhelmingly. So there's strong support uh, at both the governor's office and in the General Assembly uh, for this bond. Yeah, and these are matching funds. The organizations and municipalities will be matching those dollars so that it really increases the the capacity of the, orga- the organizations in a great way. Correct. Any recipient of the bonds has to at least match it uh, one-to-one. And uh, the history of these kinds of bonds is actually pretty positive in that regard. The state uh, uh, authorized up to $35 million in bonds for this project, and you can go to the website to see how they're distributed. But uh, based on the prior uh, historic preservation bonds that have have been issued and their performance, as well as the projections that have been done on the cultural facilities portion of the bond, we expect that the state's investment of, of roughly $35 million will generate over $140 million in construction projects uh, for the state, which is pretty impressive return for the taxpayer and definitely a partnership. This is not a handout. The taxpayers aren't being asked to foot the bill for these projects. They're being asked to partner with these nonprofits mm-hmm. to create uh, and in some cases, as you mentioned, Barnaby, municipalities to create meaningful facilities for the state. So it's a great way to get those projects started. For, for example, in Waterfire's case, we're building a new home for Waterfire's future, and we estimate we've got to raise $10 million to do that, and this is uh, $3 million of this $35, $3.16 million will go to that. But that helps us then raise the rest of the money to have a the huge impact that we can have. Mm-hmm. And what are the other, and uh, there, are, there are nine organizations named, but so then there are other, nine. Nine. there are nine, and then other organizations who didn't have a project immediately ready, a portion of this fund is set aside for them to apply to. Right. There's a, uh, so the, the nine organizations uh, that are named in the legislation are AS220, Mm-hmm. Uh, Chorus of Westerly, Newport Performing Arts Center, uh, the Rhode Island Philharmonic Music School in East Providence, uh, Second Story Theater in Warren, in Warren yep. Stadium Theater in Woonsocket, Trinity Rep downtown Providence, uh, United Theater in Westerly, and Waterfire Providence. So they're all named in the bonds. They all have existing projects with uh, nonprofits that are geared up and raising funds, and they have plans in place. They know exactly what they're going to do with the funds and when they're going to do it. And these are construction projects. These are not some arts project. This is building infrastructure, building facilities, uh, hiring, creating jobs. 100% infrastructure. So so there are two ways jobs will be created through the bond. One is the temporary jobs, the construction jobs, and we estimate that there'll be about uh, somewhere around 600 uh, temporary jobs created during the life of the bond uh, to further these construction projects. And then beyond that, uh, because this infrastructure is created, it, it 
creates additional capacity for these arts organizations. And so that additional capacity is really where the power is. You know, when so that we estimate that there'll be an additional 600 permanent jobs. Uh, you know, those are people who will live in the state, pay taxes in the state, generate revenue for the state through those state payroll taxes. All of this means that this, the investment by the taxpayer will come back to the taxpayer through these additional jobs that are created. Well, I mean, I think we've even seen that with water fire. And remember, Barnaby, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers did a study last year where just with water fire, we bring in $114 million to the city and state. Of, of and new spending. Of into new the spending. The state, yeah. so Largely from visitors who choose to come visit Rhode Island. And this is uh, the sort of investment in, in all these nine organizations and the other organizations that will join it that really builds an even more vibrant reason to come to Rhode Island. Exactly. And the Philharmonic, I know, you know, it, the economic impact. Uh, arts organizations really are just economic drivers. And I think yeah. that sometimes people don't think of that. They're not thinking about people coming in and visiting and, right. you know, taking advantage of that. So um, we're going to have to take a quick break. Uh, we're talking to David Beauchene from the Rhode Island Philharmonic, uh, one of our favorite partners. And uh, we'll be back talking a little bit about this cultural um, facilities bond. You're listening to AM790, your station for talking business. Welcome back. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island on AM790, your station for talk and business. And I am here, uh, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Uh, I am with Barnaby Evans, the creator of Waterfire, and David Beauchene, the executive director of the Rhode Island Philharmonic. And we're talking about something really important here. Um, it's called the Creative and Cultural Economy Bond. Uh, it, it's going to be something that will be coming up on the ballots on November. Um, and it really affects not only the economy of the arts organizations uh, that... Well, actually, I'm going to let Barnaby, I'm going to let you take it from here. Um, uh, one other thing to understand about the um, Creative and Cultural Economy Bond is it's uh, at its started with nine organizations that had projects that were uh, immediately going or about to go, but over 30% of the funds are set aside for future projects still to be determined. Um, over over $6 million is for other nonprofit arts facilities in general to apply on a matching basis for... Um, um, improvements to their facilities, David. Isn't right. that right? Yeah, competitive matching grants that will be administered by the Rhode Island State Council for the Arts. Council for the Arts. Again, for facilities, construction, building capacity. Yep. And then another $5 million of the bond is for communities and municipalities and nonprofits, whether it be libraries or museums or historic buildings that are open to the public, to, um, you know, one of the great wonderful things about Rhode Island is this historic fact, you know, uh, fabric of our community, and this is often it's something that needs attention. So this is another area where people can continue to apply for those those funds. Right, and so you know our goal with this entire effort was to make sure that there could be impact for every city and town in the state through this bond, and really with the way it's structured, with these three components, with the nine named organizations that are geographically dispersed throughout the state with the uh, competitive grants through the Rhode Island State Council for the Arts and with the uh, historic preservation grants, literally every community in the state uh, in some fashion will have an organization or their own town library or city hall that will be eligible to apply for funds through this bond. So it really is um, 
for a far-reaching bond, especially when you consider it's $35 million and yet we can impact every community in the state. That's a great thing to be able to do. So it creates jobs. It preserves the history of Rhode Island. It allows uh, arts facilities to thrive and to provide that much more capacity and addition to the economy. And as we know, tourism is one of the largest industries in the state. So the more reason people have to come to Rhode Island to discover an already well-known and vibrant arts culture is a great thing. Yeah. yeah. So David, for instance, um, with the Philharmonic being part of this bond, how exactly would these monies affect you and the organization? Well, I, th- I think the impact on the Philharmonic will be similar to many of the other organizations that are named. I- I- an investment uh, in us that will allow us to to sustain our facility is an investment in sustaining the Philharmonic. You know, this will allow us to to make improvements that if we don't make. Uh, in many ways can threaten the very existence of our organization. We have to keep our facilities up, and it's hard to raise the funds to do that. So this partnership from the state gets us a long way towards doing that. And and so by having that investment in our facility, then we're freed up to raise money for programming. We're freed up to raise money to impact our communities through what we do, through our performances and through our education programs. And so when our our current strategic plan calls for those investments in our facilities, and when made, when the money is raised and the investments are made, we know that we will grow at least 49 new full-time jobs uh, as a result uh, of those investments and being able to expand programming. We will reach tens of thousands more people uh, through our programming and have much deeper penetration into our communities, deeper collaboration with our public schools, uh, and uh, many more people at our performances, many more performances for people will be able to continue to provide affordable ticket prices. Right now, the Philharmonic's uh, lowest ticket price, which would surprise people, uh, published is $15, but then students get discounts off of that. We offer a college card you know, that allows students to come to the entire season for $35. So being able to keep us accessible, affordable, Performing, giving you know decent salaries to the people who work for the organization and perform in our orchestra and teach at our school, all of that is made possible if we have partnership in investing in our facilities. And I've got to say, um, it's very well known, at least in my circles, but I'm not sure if all of our listeners know what a thriving music school you have, and the, the programs are just—they're really wonderful. And I don't—I think sometimes people will hear Philharmonic and think, oh, okay, it's. That's just the you know that's just the Philharmonic playing somewhere. That's but what right. you do is so much more expansive and. Yeah, people are always surprised, especially when they come to the facility and they see how large it is. I mean, it's 30,000 square feet of teaching space that right. they didn't know existed in our state, and they didn't know that we have you know over 12 uh, rock bands and. Exactly. And we yeah. have the jazz ener- The energy of the space is great, and it covers yeah. m- all kinds of music. Right. Uh, and on Tuesday nights and Saturdays, you can't get a parking spot in the space, and, and our parking lots are in disarray and poorly lit and you know we need you know we need a lot of work to accommodate not only the traffic that we have but as more people uh, find out about us and as we can make ourselves more affordable through fundraising more students can afford to access us uh, access our programs um, we're going to have more and more demand and we need our facilities to be able to uh, meet that demand yeah and so then Barnaby I'm going to ask you the same question so if the bond gets passed because people go and vote on uh, November, what is it, the 4th? November 4th. So I- if the bond gets passed, how does this affect water fire specifically? Uh, very similar, and I imagine this is true for all nine of the organizations. Um, people 
you know, love the art, but don't always think about all the work it takes, the facilities, the, the, the storage, the trucks, the equipment, and stuff like that. And with the help of both the city and the General Assembly, uh, Waterfire purchased a historic but empty and long vacant warehouse on Valley Street, and we're in the process of starting to raise the money to fix the roofs, fix the windows, and sort of make that a permanent home for Waterfire. Waterfire has been going for 20 years. We've been bringing $114 million into the economy each year, um, rebranding the city, bringing people downtown, making it a vital place and a vibrant uh, nightlife. And we want to make sure we can assure a long-term future for Waterfire. So we bought this building. But it's a building that was built in 1929, and it needs a lot of work from roofs to electric to everything else. And uh, we'll raise the money to do that, and we'll have raise about $10 million to do that. But this bond would help us with... $3.1 million towards that, which we will be matching several times over. And again, I, you know, there's there's all these other organizations that will benefit, but as you said, David, it's more than just the nine. There's these extra funds, and That's so this right. really is an investment in our community. So I, I hope that people take the time to actually just go and, and, and look at it. Um, you now know, the website is yesonfive. Yesonfiveri.com. So we're, we're very excited. We only have a few minutes left, and, you know, so I have to say this again. The fundraiser. It's elemental. Waterfire fundraiser. Waterfire fundraiser. We need everybody to um, chip in. This that is Waterfire. September 23rd. Yeah, and Waterfire happens only because people uh, people contribute and they come down and celebrate with us. But September 23rd, come on, join it's our on the benefit Waterfire website, waterfire.org. It's called Elemental, and you can go to the Waterfire website and uh, get some more information there. And we hope to see you. It's going to be a basin lighting, phenomenal food, uh, provided by Atomic Catering and bottles and lots of great surprises and characters. So I want to thank everybody for listening. David, thank you so much for coming in and explaining uh, the... I'm not even going to get the full name right, am I? Say it once, once more. Creative and Cultural Economy <laughs> Bond. There it Question is. Question number five. That's Very it. good. So thank you for joining us, everyone. Um, if you have missed any part of this program, you can see it on the Waterfire website, or you can go to the AM790 website and catch the podcast there. Uh, thank you for joining us, and hope to see you down by the river.